0: book 2 chapter 11 of michael strogoff by jules verne this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org chapter 11 between two banks by 8 in the evening the country as the state of the sky had foretold was enveloped in complete darkness the moon being new had not yet risen from the middle of the river the banks were invisible the cliffs were confounded with the heavy low hanging clouds at intervals a puff of wind came from the east but it soon died away in the narrow valley of the angara the darkness could not fail to favor in a considerable degree the plans of the fugitives indeed although the tartar outposts must have been drawn up on both banks the raft had a good chance of passing unperceived It was not likely either that the besiegers would have barred the river above Irkutsk, since they knew that the Russians could not expect any help from the south of the province. Besides this, before long, nature would herself establish a barrier by cementing with frost the blocks of ice accumulated between the two banks. Perfect silence now reigned on board the raft. The voices of the pilgrims were no longer heard. They still prayed, but their prayer was but a murmur, which could not reach as far as either bank. The fugitives lay flat on the platform, so that the raft was scarcely above the level of the water. The old boatman crouched down forward among his men, solely occupied in keeping off the ice-blocks a maneuver which was performed without noise. The drifting of the ice was a favorable circumstance, so long as it did not offer an insurmountable obstacle to the passage of the raft— if that object had been alone on the water it would have run a risk of being seen even in the darkness but as it was it was confounded with these moving masses of all shapes and sizes and the tumult caused by the crashing of the blocks against each other concealed likewise any suspicious noises there was a sharp frost the fugitives suffered cruelly having no other shelter than a few branches of birch they cowered down together endeavoring to keep each other warm the temperature being now ten degrees below freezing point the wind though slight having passed over the snow-clad mountains of the east pierced them through and through michael and nadia lying in the after part of the raft bore this increase of suffering without complaint jolivet and blount placed near them stood these first assaults of the siberian winter as well as they could no one now spoke even in a low voice their situation entirely absorbed them at any moment an incident might occur which they could not escape unscathed for a man who hoped soon to accomplish his mission michael was singularly calm. even in the gravest conjectures his energy had never abandoned him he already saw the moment when he would be at last allowed to think of his mother of nadia of himself He now only dreaded one final unhappy chance. This was that the raft might be completely barred by ice before reaching Irkutsk. He thought but of this, determined beforehand, if necessary, to attempt some bold stroke. Restored by a few hours rest, Nadia had regained the physical energy which misery had sometimes overcome, although without ever having shaken her moral energy she thought too that if michael had to make any fresh effort to attain his end she must be there to guide him but in proportion as she drew nearer to irkutsk the image of her father rose more and more clearly before her mind she saw him in the invested town far from those he loved but as she never doubted struggling against the invaders with all the spirit of his patriotism in a few hours if heaven favored them she would be in his arms giving him her mother's last words and nothing should ever separate them again if the term of vassili fedor's exile should never come to an end his daughter would remain exiled with him then by a natural transition she came back to him who would have enabled her to see her father once more to that generous companion that brother who the tartars driven back would retake the road to moscow whom she would perhaps never meet again as to alcide jolivet and harry blount they had one and the same thought which was that the situation was extremely dramatic and that well worked up it would furnish a most deeply interesting article the englishman thought of the readers of the daily telegraph and the frenchman of those of his cousin madeline at heart both were not without feeling some emotion well so much is he better thought alcide jolivet. man must be moved oneself i believe there is some celebrated verse on this subject but hang me if i can recollect it and with his well-practised eyes he endeavoured to pierce the gloom of the river every now and then a burst of light dispelling the darkness for a time exhibited the banks under some fantastic aspect either a forest on fire or a still-burning village the angara was occasionally illuminated from one bank to the other the blocks of ice formed so many mirrors, which, reflecting the flames on every point and in every color, were whirled along by the caprice of the current, the raft passed unperceived in the midst of these floating masses. The danger was not at these points. But a peril of another nature menaced the fugitives, one that they could not foresee, and, above all, one that they could not avoid. Chance discovered it to Alcide in this way. Lying at the right side of the raft, he let his hand hang over into the water. Suddenly he was surprised by the impression made on it by the current. It seemed to be of a slimy consistency, as if it had been made of mineral oil. Alcide, aiding his touch by his sense of smell, could not be mistaken. It was really a layer of liquid naphtha floating on the surface of the river. Was the raft really floating on the substance, which is in the highest degree combustible? where had this naphtha come from was it a natural phenomenon taking place on the surface of the angara or was it to serve as an engine of destruction put in motion by the tartars did they intend to carry conflagration into irkutsk such were the questions which alcide asked himself but he thought it best to make this incident known only to harry blound and they had both agreed in not alarming their companions by revealing to them this new danger it is known that the soil of central asia is like a sponge impregnated with liquid hydrogen at the port of baku on the persian frontier on the caspian sea in asia minor in china on the yueng kiang in the burman empire springs of mineral oil rise in thousands to the surface of the ground it is an oil country similar to that which bears this name in north america during certain religious festivals principally at the port of baku the natives who are fire-worshippers throw liquid naphtha on the surface of the sea which boils it up its density being inferior to that of the water then at nightfall when a layer of mineral oil is thus spread over the caspian they light it and exhibit the matchless spectacle of an ocean of fire undulating and breaking into waves under the breeze but what is only a sign of rejoicing at baku might prove a fearful disaster on the waters of the angara whether it was set on fire by malevolence or imprudence in the twinkling of an eye a conflagration might spread beyond irkutsk on board the raft no imprudence was to be feared but everything was to be dreaded from the conflagrations on both banks of the angara for should a lighted straw or even a spark blow into the water it would inevitably set the whole current of naphtha into a blaze the apprehensions of jolivet and blount may be better understood than described would it not be prudent in face of this new danger to land on one of the banks and wait there at any rate said alcide whatever the danger may be i know some one who will not land alluded to michael strogoff in the meantime on glided the raft among the masses of ice which were gradually getting closer and closer together up till then no tartar detachment had been seen which showed that the raft was not abreast of the outposts at about ten o'clock however harry blount caught sight of a number of black objects moving on the ice blocks springing from one to the other they rapidly approached tartars he thought and creeping up to the old boatman he pointed out to him the suspicious objects the old man looked attentively they are only wolves said he i like them better than tartars but we must defend ourselves and without noise the fugitives would indeed have to defend themselves against these ferocious beasts whom hunger and cold had sent roaming through the province they had smelt out the raft and would soon attack it the fugitives must struggle without using firearms, for they could not now be far from the tartar posts. The women and children were collected in the middle of the raft, and the men, some armed with poles, others with their knives, stood prepared to repulse these assailants. They did not make a sound, but the holes of the wolves filled the air. Michael did not wish to remain inactive. He lay down at the side, attacked by the savage pack. He drew his knife and every time that a wolf passed within his reach his hand found out the way to plunge his weapon into its throat neither were jolivet and blount idle but fought bravely with the brutes their companions gallantly seconded them the battle was carried on in silence although many of the fugitives received severe bites the struggle did not appear as if it would soon terminate the pack was being continually reinforced from the right bank of the angara This will never be finished, said Alcide Jolivet, brandishing his dagger, red with blood. In fact, half an hour after the commencement of the attack, the wolves were still coming in hundreds across the ice. The exhausted fugitives were getting weaker. The fight was going against them. At that moment a group of ten huge wolves, raging with hunger, their eyes glowing in the darkness like red coals, sprang onto the raft jolivet and his companion threw themselves into the midst of the fierce beasts and michael was finding his way towards them when a sudden change took place in a few moments the wolves had deserted not only the raft but also the ice on the river all the black bodies dispersed and it was soon certain that they had in all haste regained the shore wolves like other beasts of prey require darkness for their proceedings and at that moment a bright light illuminated the entire river It was the blaze of an immense fire. The whole of the small city of Poshkavsk was burning. The Tartars were indeed there, finishing their work. From this point they occupied both banks beyond Irkutsk. The fugitives had by this time reached the dangerous part of their voyage, and they were still twenty miles from the capital. It was now half past eleven. The raft continued to glide on amongst the ice, with which it was quite mingled, but the gleams of light sometimes fell upon it the fugitives stretched on the platform did not permit themselves to make a movement by which they might be betrayed the conflagration was going on with frightful rapidity the houses built of wood blazed like torches a hundred and fifty flaming at once with the crackling of the fire was mingled the yells of the tartars The old boatman, getting a foothold on a near piece of ice, managed to shove the raft against the right bank. By doing which, a distance of from three to four hundred feet divided it from the flames of Poshkavsk. Nevertheless, the fugitives, lighted every now and then by the glare, would have been undoubtedly perceived had not the incendiaries been too much occupied in their work of destruction. It may be imagined what were the apprehensions of Jolivet and Blount when they thought of the combustible liquid on which the raft floated sparks flew in millions from the houses which resembled so many glowing furnaces they rose among the volumes of smoke to a height of five or six hundred feet on the right bank the trees and cliffs exposed to the fire looked as if they likewise were burning a spark falling on the surface of the angara would be sufficient to spread the flames along the current and to carry disaster from one bank to the other The result of this would be in a short time the destruction of the raft, and of all those which it carried. But happily the breeze did not blow from that side. It came from the east, and drove the flame towards the left. It was just possible that the fugitives would escape this danger. The blazing town was at last passed. Little by little the glare grew dimmer, the crackling became fainter, and the flames at last disappeared behind the high cliffs which arose at an abrupt turn of the river by this time it was nearly midnight the deep gloom again threw its protecting shadows over the raft the tartars were there going to and fro near the river they could not be seen but they could be heard the fires of the outposts burned brightly in the meantime it had become necessary to steer more carefully among the blocks of ice the old boatmen stood up and the moujiks resumed their poles they had plenty of work the management of the raft becoming more and more difficult as the river was further obstructed michael had crept forward jolivet followed both listened to what the old boatman and his men were saying look out on the right there are blocks drifting on to us on the left fend fend off with your boat hook. before an hour is past we shall be stopped if it is god's will answered the old man against his will there is nothing to be done you hear them said alcide yes replied michael but god is with us the situation became more and more serious should the raft be stopped not only would the fugitives not reach Irkutsk, but they would be obliged to leave their floating platform for it would be very soon smashed into pieces in the ice the osier ropes would break The fire-trunks torn asunder would drift under the hard crust, and the unhappy people would have no refuge but the ice-blocks themselves. Then, when they came, they would be seen by the Tartars and massacred without mercy. Michael returned to the spot where Nadia was waiting for him. He approached the girl, took her hand, and put to her the invariable question, Nadia, are you ready? To which she replied as usual, I am ready for a few versts more the raft continued to drift amongst the floating ice should the river narrow it would soon form an impassable barrier already they seemed to drift slower every moment they encountered severe shocks or were compelled to make detours now to avoid running foul of a block there to enter a channel of which it was necessary to take advantage at length the stoppages became still more alarming there were only a few more hours of night Could the fugitives not reach Irkutsk by five o'clock in the morning, they must lose all hope of ever getting there at all. At half-past one, notwithstanding all efforts, the raft came up against a thick barrier and stuck fast. The ice, which was drifting down behind it, pressed it still closer, and kept it motionless, as though it had been stranded. At this spot the angara narrowed, it being half its usual breadth this was the cause of the accumulation of ice which became gradually soldered together under the double influence of the increased pressure and of the cold five hundred feet beyond the river widened again and the blocks gradually detaching themselves from the flow continued to drift towards irkutsk it was probable that had the banks not narrowed the barrier would not have formed but the misfortune was irreparable and the fugitives must give up all hope of attaining their objects Had they possessed the tools usually employed by whalers to cut channels through the ice-fields, had they been able to get through to where the river widened, they might have been saved. But they had nothing which could make the least incision in the ice, hard as granite in the excessive frost. What were they to do? At that moment several shots on the right bank startled the unhappy fugitives. A shower of balls fell on the raft. The devoted passengers had been seen immediately afterwards shots were heard fired from the left bank the fugitives taken between two fires become the mark of the tartar sharpshooters several were wounded although in the darkness it was only by chance that they were hit come nadia whispered michael in the girl's ear without making a single remark ready for anything nadia took michael's hand we must cross the barrier he said in a low tone guide me but let no one see us leave the raft nadia obeyed michael and she glided rapidly over the floe in the obscurity only broken now and again by the flashes from the muskets nadia crept along in front of michael the shot fell around them like a tempest of hail and pattered on the ice their hands were soon covered with blood from the sharp and rugged ice over which they clambered but still on they went in ten minutes the other side of the barrier was reached there the waters of the angara again flowed freely several pieces of ice detached gradually from the floe were swept along in the current down towards the town nadia guessed what michael wished to attempt one of the blocks was only held on by a narrow strip come said nadia and the two crouched on the piece of ice which their weight detached from the floe it began to drift the river widened the way was open michael and nadia heard the shots the cries of distress the yells of the tartars then little by little the sound of agony and of ferocious joy grew faint in the distance her poor companions murmured nadia for half an hour the current hurried along the blocks of ice which bore michael and nadia they feared every moment that it would give way beneath them swept along in the middle of the current it was unnecessary to give it an oblique direction until they drew near the quays of irkutsk michael his teeth tight set his ear on the strain did not utter a word never had he been so near his object he felt that he was about to attain it towards two in the morning a double row of lights glittered on the dark horizon in which were confounded the two banks of the angara on the right hand were the lights of irkutsk on the left the fires of the tartar camp michael strogoff was not more than half a verst from the town at last he murmured but suddenly nadia uttered a cry at the cry michael stood up on the ice which was wavering his hand was extended up the angara his face on which a bluish light cast a peculiar hue became almost fearful to look at and then as if his eyes had been opened to the bright blaze spreading across the river ah he exclaimed then heaven itself is against us chapter eleven